0: Hi everybody. This is Loretta from Next Sequence, and you're listening to the Next Sequence podcast. More and more tech bio founders out there, like myself, before going from entrepreneur to investor, I've been trying to bring in computing technologies to biotech. In this show, I sit down with some of the most impressive founders of what we call now tech bio to learn more about their journey and inspire other founders or wannabe founders to follow in their tracks. TechBio is all about fixing the problem of the world, and the world needs more and more TechBio founders. So, listen up! Hi guys, welcome to the new episode of the TechBio Founders podcast series by Next Sequence. And we are... Happy to welcome Andrey Shukirev, CEO from Enzymity today. Hi, Andrey, how are you doing?
1: Hello, Loretta. Um, thank you for for having me. Um, really excited to um, to have this uh, conversation with you. Um, I'm all right, thank you. Um, was a bit sick um, from all the celebrations. I'm physically ill of the New Year celebrations, but now I'm uh, back on track
0: yeah and, uh, it's the hangover from the holidays i guess yeah so. um yes. well
1: not literal one uh, at least uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah big plans for twenty twenty three, so uh there's no time to 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 build
0: Yeah, no worries. I was uh, pretty much uh, going through that, you know, taping off the uh, holiday mood and giving back to the uh, let's get going for 2023 uh, mood this week. So I totally get you on this. So let's get going with business then. So uh, you are the CEO of Inzimity. Uh, We will discuss a little bit more afterward about what is Inzimity and what is your core product. But um, I was digging a little bit about uh, your profile, and and I was really, really intrigued. So tell me a little bit more about you, what you've been studying, what you have worked in, and tell us how you went uh, from that to uh, becoming the CEO of Enzimily.
1: All right, sure. Um, It's it's interesting to hear from time to time that somebody has been um, uh, researching up on me. Um so I will, uh, I would say that uh, you could say that I'm uh, I'm a failed biochemist <laughs> in a sense that I was really into um um biology um when I was studying in in uh, in secondary school um some 20 years ago um and uh that was that was uh, in Estonia and uh, I was uh, doing all kinds of uh uh, competitions and Olympiads um, nationwide, um, and was really excited about this, and was planning to uh to go study um biology or chemistry at Tartu University, probably. Uh, but then, at the last moment, I got into a business school in Riga, and so I went for the business track because at that moment I was um, I was convinced that that's cooler for some reason, um, and. I, I did uh, finish that, and, and I was uh, um, doing um, some startups, uh, some projects of my own for a number of years. Um, mostly digitals at first, uh, because that was kind of the, the fashion these days, and that was easy uh, back then. So you didn't have to build world-class products to uh, to actually, uh, you know, get easy traction um, uh, and other things. Um, but then uh about five ish years ago i started crawling back into the um bio space because the, i never left the the, the passion so I, i've always been curious about this layer of the universe the the complexity on top of the ordinary chemistry the the dead world um and i think it's a, it's a it's not just a niche. It's not um, equatable to other niches in in what's called deep tech today. I think it's it's an entire layer of reality. So we need to treat it like that, and it can really affect most of the things that we are doing in the future, and is already doing that now. So um, that's why I'm back uh, in the uh, in, in in biotech, and I think probably for for good. And um, enzymity was a result of a number of uh, perturbations and pivots. There were some ideas being discussed between myself and and, uh, people who thought um, the same about uh, biology. Um, We were thinking about uh, um, recombinant synthesis of of proteins for food, so kind of uh, uh, molecular farming. We're thinking uh, about uh, healthcare applications, uh, but it happened so that after a couple of changes, uh, we uh, settled on uh, on the on a mission to uh, help improve um, the circularity of the material economy and specifically plastics, um, because that's one of the one of the acute problems that's not being talked about too much, at least if you compare it with um, Let's say with the climate change, with the uh, with all the carbon things, um, even with the uh, things like the hydrogen carbon, et etc. Uh, so we really think that that should change. Uh, and waste is has always been um, it, it has never been glamorous. So it's kind of uh, it's ew, it's 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 not cool. Uh, but I think that also makes it really attractive um, as an area where. Uh, um, as an area to focus on uh, because there's less competition and because uh, there's a huge impact on it. You're connecting the two disjointed parts of the of the global economy and if you manage to do that uh, in the end, I think the rewards uh, both for the environment and for those people who do that might be um, quite dramatic.
0: So originally crazy about biology uh, that went through a dark side uh, period by going to business school and then went back to biology and building uh, a biotech platform. So Enzimity, uh, the way I understand it, is a bio platform for a plastic circularity. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what problem, particularly in uh, plastic circularity, you're trying to tackle with Inzimini and why is this, uh, you know, the $1 billion uh, startup idea and why it's important and why right now more than ever. Of course, we all know about uh, climate change and the need for us to steer away from fossil fossil fuel. And of course, one of the main, I would say, byproduct of fossil fuel that is, you know, infusing our day-to-day at so many levels is plastic. We have plastic mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, any food that we're wrapping right. in, most of the time is, you know, wrapped around with plastic. Every item, most of the item that we are buying are actually Either entirely plastic-based or at least a certain amount of plastic in it. So we even have it into our own blood, whether we want it yeah. or not. By the way, so
1: that's unfortunately true.
0: Yeah, and that's very invasive. So solving a plastic and our dependence to plastic is very important. And so, how do you do that? And what was the original idea with uh, enzymity
1: All right, so um plastics, if 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 we look at it broadly, I think that we can safely say that plastics is the the material platform of the twentieth century. Yes. um again, I'm using the world platform word platform here um, as a um, as more of a buzzword than than an actual thing, but it's kind of the, the foundation of the material economy of the twentieth century. And it was all thanks to the uh, the fossil fuel. Uh, proliferation um so there there was uh, a very um interesting analysis uh regarding how the world economy progresses and it divided the it looked at the uh development stages in terms of the key energy resource uh, and the key material resource and they are usually interconnected uh so in the uh especially in the second half of the 20th century there was uh Oil and plastics, oil slash gas and plastics. Um, yeah. So you get plastics from uh, from fossil fuels, and uh, you can use it in a trillion different ways. Uh, and you can also use fossil fuels for energy. So the, those were the two things that kind of helped the economy grow. And uh, I don't think that it's worth demonizing plastic as much as we do fossil fuels. And I think, I mean, fossil fuels are less elegant than plastic in this respect, because you need to actually take something out of the um, ground en masse, and and then spend it to get energy, which I think in several hundred year time, your sign would would look really weird for our descendants. Um, And you cannot really make that circular. You cannot really, you still need to dig out things from the ground. And yes, I know that you still need to dig out, uh, you know, lithium and cobble for the um, for the green economy. Uh, but that's incomparable in terms of the the quantities and the impact um, and the atmospheric impact. Especially N- plastics in that respect um, are, I think, more wonderful than um, than kind of demonic. Um, so they they. They have so many applications and they allow us to save so much emissions because of their properties, like being lightweight, like being um um, you know, like having specific uh um permeable permeability. permeability properties, etc. Yeah. Um, we just don't know how to handle them well at the end of their life. So right now, about nine percent of the classic. Uh, Waste is being uh, properly recycled in the world. Uh, In Europe, that's around uh, 15 ish percent. I think that was the last number, Um, which is still really, really embarrassing. I think, again, if you look at uh, if you look uh, from this perspective from the 22nd century, 22nd century vantage point, that would be really crazy, like you wasted 85% of whatever your, like your foundation of your material economy, you're just uh, kind of throwing it away or burning it, which is even worse, I think, um, because it goes straight into the atmosphere. Um, So our key, um, our core um, approach is that plastic is not bad per se. We just need to be able to handle it better. We just need to make it reusable like, You know, like metals and other things that are easily um, returned into the uh, the material economy, Uh, and there are a number of ways to do that, Um, so what we're doing is basically expanding um, the arsenal of waste, uh, how plastics. um, can be made um, circular Um, and, of course, we don't have the don't wear the rosy glasses in the sense that. Thinking that our solution, uh, or you know, enzymatic recycling in general, is going to be the um, filler of the plastic recycling um, economy, but I think it has good chances to be one of the biggest types of recycling uh, going forward, um, and I can explain why. So, uh, before I do that, I just want to say that there still needs to be, like, we still need all of the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, we still need to reduce our plastic use. We need to uh, design products around plastic. We need to um, get a better systems in place to collect, sort, uh, um, and dispose of plastic. Of course, uh, but given the the the, the sheer um, amount of plastic that's being produced, and given the pipe, so it's around three hundred something million tons. Per year, that is a lot and you cannot really fight that with just one weapon, so you need a number of measures to do that and uh, no no one thing is going to solve the plastic uh, crisis, which it is, it is a crisis. um, Given the numbers, given the figures um, of the impact. Uh, But there is definitely um, a niche for technologies that allow. Converting uh, various types of plastic into the chemicals they are made from, and then enabling using those chemicals uh, to create uh, new plastic without involving fossil fuels. So, you can call it the big niche is, is chemical recycling. So, enzymatic recycling, I consider it chemical recycling as well. It's just that the chemicals are uh, complex uh, organic molecules uh, instead of something simpler. Um, But the the reasoning is the same. So we do have like the traditional recycling, mechanical recycling, which is good at what it does, but its scope is really limited. So I really doubt that it's possible in practice to sort and kind of clean 100% of our plastic waste. Think of all the plastic food packaging that's being covered in grease and and all kinds of, you know, plastic parts that are just inseparable even if you just take one industry, which is not usually brought up, brought up uh, in conversations about plastic circularity, like uh, car manufacturing, um, each car contains a huge amount of plastic details, and nobody really, you know, has uh, exp- expense the effort of of disassembling a car at the end of its life. So what's usually being done is that the metal parts, the big parts, like the um, the bulk of the car, that can be easily recovered. And it's metallic so you can just melt it down, Uh, but all the rest of the uh, parts of which there are thousands, they are just kind of ground into uh, a powder which is called car fluff, which is one of my favorite terms in circularity. Um, And the fluff contains like a dozen different types of plastic together with other materials, so you can't really. Do much with it apart from just burning it and, and making ash and maybe using it in asphalt which is really a shame so that's like the lowest possible value added application that you can you can think about uh, apart from just like digging it into the ground um, putting it into the ground um, so there needs to be a way to separate plastic from other types of things that we throw out um, including big things like cars imagine based on the number of cars that around the world and, and cars that are kind of being dumped every year how much of even just that plastic fluff ends up being either burned or dumped somewhere uh, so it's not just bad for the environment it's also just kind of it just feels bad to be so um um to be so um,
0: wasteful, inefficient
1: with the resources that we have, right? Yeah. Wasteful, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, what we're aiming at is creating a a technology and bringing it to the market that helps um, treating the types of plastic waste which are currently untreatable either because of the um, uh, um, because of the economy, like it's just too expensive. Like with the car flop, it's just too expensive to to disassemble the car by hand. You need to do it by hand, basically, mm-hmm. um, or it's just not possible at all. So some types of plastic you just can't do that, um, and a lot of types of plastic are not recyclable with mechanical recycling at all. Um, so we think that uh, there's a huge gap in the market, and we are one of the uh, teams that are trying to fill it. There are a number of awesome um, startups around the world. Uh, doing pretty much the same thing, um, so the approach may vary. What we are focusing on is not one specific asset, meaning not one specific enzyme for targeting one type of plastic. Um, but rather, kind of taking a step back and uh, working on a set of tools and methods that would allow us to um, design quickly design um, new enzyme iterations for a number of different plastic types, enabling uh, us to create a portfolio of enzymes for different types of plastic. So there are um, six, seven major types of plastic, and then a lot of niche plastics. So until we have um, means to um, deal with most of them, um, chemical recycling will remain a niche, I think. But once we have the capability of separating out uh, In a targeted way just those types of plastic i think there's going to be a proliferation of this technology and and i i would expect it to become the major um, part of the plastic recycling market
0: yeah you said it right i think you, you you basically covered all of the main issue when it comes to recycling for plastic Um, As a Montessorian, uh, I can tell you that getting away from plastic is something that is very hard to do. When I had my son and I had to replace every little toy, plastic toys, by just uh, wooden toys, I realized how much it was actually present in a day-to-day life for children, for example. And if you go beyond that and you look at everything that you're using on the day-to-day, everything is pretty much plastic. now the issue is plastic is so prevalent because um, of the different features that it presents as you said it's light uh, it's transparent uh, and I can tell you like trying to have transparent things that are not plastic basically you're going to use glass but then again yeah. it's heavy so having something that is light transparent and not heavy it's not that easy to come by, and actually, plastic is pretty much the only way to go, more or less, and at least something yeah. that is available to you as a consumer now.
1: And, and really cheap. So and I really, I really sometimes I like to I have this uh, weird mental exercise where I like to imagine uh, a medieval person uh, getting their hands on uh, some item from today, like a plastic thing, which is probably really cheap, like you know, a plastic bottle uh which would be magic for them that would be just amazing it's uh it weighs almost nothing it's um it doesn't let anything out or in it's transparent and uh you can like you can also melt it down so it's it's kind of it's uh, malleable so it's just amazing and you can do you can you know go on with those examples as long as you want yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's not, the problem is not the plastic, the problem is is the way we handle it at the end yeah. of its life, and by it's... saying that, I'm not saying that we don't need like um, organic based plastics or plastics that are biodegradable, we do need that as well, but until that thing scales to three or 400,000 million, sorry, tons per year, we need other solutions as well because, I mean, we only have that much space on the planet. And it's quickly being filled up with uh, with plastic waste.
0: It's exactly that. Because over the last past 10 years of working in um, tech and uh, working with different startups, I've seen my share load of a biodegradable startup trying to tackle that problem. And I think one of the things that you said that really uh, strike me is uh, the operational costs, the uh, capability to actually produce, and the capability capability to scale. Now, I think you're perfectly right in thinking and and trying to approach this problem of circularity in a different way, where the idea is not to say, okay, we're going to produce a material that is basically going to replace the already existing plastic. We're just going to tackle one angle that we think is actually faulty, which is the end of the cycle. And actually, it's not a cycle. That's what you're saying. What you're saying is, is actually, it's it's, it's just a line, because you just go from, um, Extracting that oil and gas and then going through all the chemicals, chemical process that is going to produce that new plastic. But then again, with that new mm-hmm. plastic, you just put it into manufacturing. The manufacturer is going to produce whatever product uh it's actually expected from the consumer perspective. The consumer uses it, but then again, with uh the last, I would say, a couple of decades of us being used to throwing away anything instead of we're using or trying to repair, we end up with ton of, you know, waste out there. So the approach within the minute that I really like is the idea of saying, okay, this is a not loop, let's try to make it a loop, let's try to make it a loop by basically saying, okay, that plastic, we can take it. And instead of trying to recycle it in a mechanical way, we have now new tools, these bio tools that we can use, and we can actually use microorganism and have this microorganism produce this enzyme that are just going to kind of biodegrade but not really and biodegrade but kind of attack this plastic to just return it back to its manufacturing settings. So basically yeah. we just like, the plastic. Yeah we're just like restating the plastic um polymers. We are resetting it to manufacturing level so that the same plastic can be used again and again. And that in itself was very beautiful because it's it was not a cycle and suddenly you're turning something that we call cycle, the recycling cycle, we turn it into a real cycle because we are using what has been produced. It's not as if we had to dig things out again. So there is this virtual cycle that is actually very interesting. So. so- with that in mind, how did you kind of try to figure out the side of this market, and how did you decide to then move on into turning that idea into a real product? How did you build your team? How did you guys manage manage to move away from okay, we know this is what we need to do now, let's do it, and how do you how do we do this?
1: Um, <laughs> that's uh, that's a big um, that's a big multiphasic question. Um, before I go into details, um, one thing that I think is worth mentioning is that we're not really trying to compete with or take market share from mechanical recycling. So we think there should be more of it. Actually, is right now it's just a small percentage still of most of the plastic uh, handling. Um, the, the majority is being incineration and landfilling. So we are not competing with mechanical recycling, we want to create methods that allow us to recycle the rest of the waste, which is not mechanically recyclable. So we don't think that it's worth developing new technologies for things like, you know, clean sorted plastic bottles. It's it's really it works really well with mechanical recycling. I've spoken with a number of people who uh, manage plastic recycling plants and it's just so efficient, you cannot really um you know it's really difficult to to think about how that could be um pushed further so we are working on kind of the rest of the 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 dark plastic so to speak if if you consider that like in in the universe uh only a small percentage of the stuff is the, the the matter that we consist of which we can see and the rest of is something else is the dark matter and dark energy so most of the plastic is Waste is dark plastic, it just kind of we get rid of it and forget about it. So we don't want to forget about it. We want to turn it into something that can be um, used again, Um, theoretically, also um, unlimited number of times, because unlike mechanical recycling, this process doesn't really degrade the the quality of the plastic uh, because it's a chemical decomposition and not mechanical. Um, So, with that in mind, Another thing worth mentioning is that this idea, um, while being quite elegant, I think, has a lot of pitfalls. So there are a huge number of challenges um, ahead still for this market. Otherwise, I think everybody would be using enzymatic recycling already because it's just it makes a lot of sense in so many ways. Um, and the biggest challenge is, of course, efficiency and related to the cost of the process so it's either really expensive or really slow or both Um, and that's exactly what we are working what we're focusing on we're we're trying to solve the problem of kind of industrial scale of the enzymatic um, process so what we're doing is essentially um developing tools and methods that help improve the and engineer the um uh, the naturally occurring enzymes of which there's been um the, there has been a number of enzymes that were discovered in the wild so to speak that that were that um evolved um naturally to um to target uh, plastic as a carbon source for certain organisms so those are good starting points in low hanging fruit. You can engineer them to, um, to make them more stable, to make them faster and uh, basically more suitable for industrial conditions. Um, the next step would be uh, generating completely uh, novel enzymes, especially for tackling the, the types of plastic that traditionally have few or no research regarding um, that um that process uh you know those processes i mean enzymatic recycling um or imp- improving further on the ones that do um so as a starting point we 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 were toying with uh sort of quote unquote traditional ways of of enzyme engineering like uh, directed evolution in rational design and um, we've seen some positive results um, but as time goes by, we're shifting more and more towards uh, computational methods, firstly, because uh, we think that there, this is where most of the potential lies. Um, you can only do so much in the physical world when, when, it, um, when it comes to huge, um, uh, you know, combinatorial spaces of, of proteins, I think is just a necessity to do a lot of things in compute. And secondly, of course, because it's getting more and more advanced by the month. So this market, this kind of, this part is just exploding, not only in, in biotech, but anywhere. I think uh, it's not even worth mentioning all the all the cool stuff that has come up out of the AI labs uh, of the big corporations in the last couple of years. Um, so all of this and, and compute is getting cheaper itself. So all of this makes makes it possible to do things even in small teams that, that were not really even thinkable like five or ten years ago. Um, so when you also couple that with the fact that um, the, the 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 foundational biotech methods like uh, you know gene synthesis and, and related stuff are also still getting cheaper and cheaper and more accessible. Um, I think now is the the high time. Now is the best time to uh, to experiment in this space and to develop products that actually have um, impact. Uh, and that's uh, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what we're doing.
0: Yeah, the value, and that was originally what totally seduced me, as you know. Uh, our computing foundation is entirely dedicated to trying to bring uh, cloud AI quantum computing to synthetic biology. And so when I was scouting for startups, definitely uh, founding and the matter was really uh, the highlight of my day, definitely. I, re- I remember again, uh, when I found you guys, I was like, okay, this is exactly, these guys understand where I'm going. And it's all about bringing technology as a way to move forward. the are in this cycle much, much faster than it is. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, what I see within Zimini is the positioning where um, you got this idea where you say, okay, we have an issue with the plastic, and we're going to use uh, enzyme actually to degrade it. Because instead of a linear, um, a, a linear approach, we really want to bring that uh, loop uh, back phase where plastic can be reused again. So how do we do that? We are going to use enzyme. Uh, how do we do? we uh, How can we produce enzyme in a very scalable way, where first we have to produce different kinds of enzyme um, to degrade different kinds of plastic. You use a term that I love, which is the dark matter or, or the dark plastic. It's exactly that. And I think this is a critical issue because we don't know what we don't know. And the thing is, of all of the things that we are not actually recycling, the reason why we are not recycling it is because we have no idea how to recycle it besides the actual mechanical uh, recycling uh, method. And so having an ability to say, okay, what if, even if we don't know uh, right now, if there are any enzyme we could search for, we could search for some enzyme that potentially could help us uh, degrade this particular set of plastic. And suddenly it become very interesting because you move away from the uh, experimental-based in vitro approach, Uh, in uh, enzyme optimization and and enzyme creation to um, a pure in silico, pure computer-based approach. And that changes everything because suddenly, instead of looking at minions in R&D to be able to do in vitro testing and maybe potentially find one enzyme that will work for one very limited use case, suddenly your platform will be able to say, okay, whatever the use case that is meant to be thrown at us, We can, we can, we can look for that because we are using, using machine learning and with our, with our algorithm, we are able to basically say, okay, uh, through a different round of testing. We are learning about these plastics and all the chemicals used, and we can predict potentially that this conformation of enzyme might potentially be working. And so we're moving away from the eight to 10 years research that will use. Millions, hundreds of millions potentially in RD funding to maybe looking at a three to five years RD process, potentially even shorter if the team is actually able to move forward with the data. So suddenly uh, it becomes not just iterative, it becomes data centric. It becomes predictive it becomes exactly what we've seen in computing it's a jump ahead and so i like the idea of using machine learning here to basically produce enzyme and then using this enzyme to tackle one specific problem in your case which is how do we fix uh the broken loop in sustainability for plastic and so how was it to build that that modeling team how many of you guys are working at
1: Um So before I go into that, just a couple of things I want to um, um a couple of comments on, on on what you just said. So I think you're you're making it sound really um cool of course um, <laughs> which is great, which I think it is. but um it, it's not it perfect. Seems, at least it seems to me that it's it's not as awesome as as a lot of people um wanted to be at least yet. Um, There are a lot of challenges with this approach, and some great results are yet to be seen in in most sectors. So basically that's a very similar approach as to what uh, is being done in in, um, healthcare right now, in drug discovery. Um, And you 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 can claim that there are some success stories, but compared with the volume of efforts, it's still just the early days. And so we are trying to transplant this model of thinking into other industries. For us, that's the industrial biotech and and specifically focusing on on circular materials. Um, But as you rightly, very rightly mentioned, the, the beauty of the computational methods is that they get easier and better with time, while the in vitro, the classical in vitro methods get more more difficult with time because it's it's one thing to you know just run a directed evolution experiment with a hundred uh different variants that's totally easy these days but you know when you have a specific enzyme and you explore all the kind of those little patches of, of variants around the active site you are basically collecting all the low-hanging fruits and then you need to go further and suddenly you're Um, space of possibilities starts expanding um, at a huge tempo, and it becomes really difficult to move forward. Whereas uh, in in uh, in the in silico methods, the more data you collect, the easier it actually gets for you to move forward because you are improving your models and you're mapping this this landscape better. So uh, I think yeah I I will totally like subscribe uh, under everything that you've said. the one of the challenges I think is still kind of marrying this with with uh, with, it, with, with Symbio. So it's not like those two things are still are, are quite as integrated as we would like them to be at this point. Um, we're getting there, so there are a lot of wonderful startups who are working on this. Um uh, but for now, um our team is is mostly based on on biotech experience so we don't have like pure uh, let's say machine learning people uh, in our team yet who would come you know from from a completely tech digital background and nothing else um i think this year we'll have one or two so it's it, it will be really interesting to um to integrate a team uh, with both biologists and and uh, People from the digital quote unquote background, because those are two completely different uh, thinking patterns and different ways of doing things of scaling things and looking at you know all kinds of stuff like from from money to teamwork. Um, None of them bad or good just very different, so if you if you manage to take the good from from the both worlds. um, I, I think the result might be amazing and. It will allow to, to scale biotech further um, in an exponential way, and not in this laborious Irum's law uh, pattern, <laughs> where each next step is becoming more and more difficult. You know, it's like trudging in a in a in a sea of honey. It's like the more the, the further you go, the deeper you get into the honey, and the more tired you get. So it, it's it's an ordeal. I think it's also possible to like get a helicopter or motorboat or something so my bet is that uh, when the merger of digital and, and bio is complete um or at least kind of it matures as a as a technology amazing things are are going to be possible um so our team is is for now, this is a combination of, of kind of uh, business expertise and the biotech expertise. We're going to add uh, pure digital expertise as well. Um, and of course, um, um, some um, sustainability and circularity expertise, because this market especially um, is um, still, a, we, you need to deal quite heavily with, with all sorts of regulations. And not only say I'm uh, saying not only about the waste treatment market, but also about the plastics market. Um, so in in most countries, uh, you need to consider a lot of things, uh, which are not related to the technology or the pure kind of monetary side. And these are both positive and negative. So having that um, know-how in the team, I think, is essential for any startup who is dealing with um, with uh, circularity or with plastic or especially in, in the case of uh, the crossover um so we're still a small team we're based in uh, in riga uh, in uh, a wonderful uh, country of uh, Latvia, up north and near the uh, at the coast of the baltic sea um so we consider europe as our kind of home um, home market Uh, But we're building um, a global company from the start, Um, not least because the plastic industry is extremely globalized so there are just a few huge players that produce plastic. um, In big enough volumes in the world Uh, so it's really consolidated so if you and you cannot really do anything without if you want to close the loop, you need to involve both ends so you need to involve the recyclers or become one and you need to involve plastic producers. So we're not definitely we're definitely not planning to become a plastic producer. So we need to have them on board, and they are big international companies. So we're building for scale from the start. Uh, we've been uh, speaking with uh, quite a few market players uh, all around the world, from from you know in Europe of course, uh, but also in the U.S., um, in uh, Japan, Southeast Asia. Uh, and and other parts of the world, Um, primarily to make sure that what we are building is something that somebody wants. So I do believe that, um, you know, deep tech as a whole uh, can only win uh, from the lean approaches that are very, very common in, in digital startups. So you can, when you don't have the technology risk, you can first go and sell your product Quote, unquote, or show it to people in a demo or something, and uh, you can get the feedback and then you build and then you decide if you need to build that or something else. So none of the if if we build it, will they come, you can actually first like sell it and then build it, which is amazing, which is, uh, uh, you know what mature um, markets mature industries are. um, This is how mature industries are working In, in deep tech you are forced to first demonstrate the technology uh, and then kind of, you still need to bear the risk of scaling it, which is uh, a different beast. If you are building an app, then scaling it is super easy. So there are a lot of services that are eager to help you scale it from one user to a million users or beyond, or a billion users, billion billion users, but uh, it doesn't really work like that in, Anything that's uh, involves that involves atoms, at least at this point. So I think it still pays to to interact and try to interface with the industry as much as possible, as early as possible. Being honest about the state of your technology, but also looking at the reaction and gathering feedback. And you know if 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 your technology is something that, that that people or organizations want, then they will be happy to support you and, or they will be happy to wait if you are not on the level at the level which they would kind of consider a start for a cooperation. Yeah. Um, so that's a good test. And that's what we've been doing for more than a year now as well, in parallel to building the platform.
0: I think I think you have the right approach. Uh I I, I like because you're being very humble. Uh true, uh you don't have yet the uh fully computerized uh, ideal, you know, algorithm algorithm uh that is going to crush and and produce enzyme at will um, based on the different plastic that we present to it. But uh, so far, as you mentioned, uh, you guys very quickly, uh, based on this I would say, computer-oriented, data-oriented approach, managed to uh, identify a couple of enzymes already. Among them, you have PET, for example, or PU, or cellulosis. Cellulosis in itself, uh, more than maybe PET or PU, which might not uh, be speaking very quickly or easily to the general public. It's something that everyone has more or less heard about, uh, and cellulose is everywhere, everywhere. So it's it's kind of a, even with these three different enzymes already. I would tend to say and tend to think that it's already a huge market out there that your company could actually address, and you already have enough capabilities in terms of okay, this is the market that it represents, and we're trying to, to solve um, the issue for this market even with one enzyme, typically pet enzyme. Uh, enzymatic recycling for PET and uh, 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 using PET actually is representing a market of 20, 27 billion, so it's not nothing. Uh, um, and again, I understand uh, you're being very humble because there's still a lot of oh, things that's a lot
1: of something,
0: yeah. But that's a lot of something. That was actually my point. That's a lot of something already. And what was very surprising to me, you mentioned, um, yeah, you're already in discussion with different type of partners. And it was very funny to see actually coming into um, uh, the play, of course, uh, as you said, uh, chemical uh, producer, and because you said it perfectly, we're not trying to be a chemical producer ourselves. So we need to work in partnership with them. And among them, you have BSSF. Um, And so, yeah, they, they are huge. They're actually the first one out there. There are others and you guys are actually getting in touch. But I think that, what really like kind of you know like really managed to grab my attention was the fact that you had also like um customer uh oriented firm like fashion industry players there's h&m or even cosmetic product um players like l'oreal you know coming in into the play and interested and if you really think about it, it 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 points back to what you were saying earlier about plastic. We don't realize it, but actually the usage of plastic is everywhere. So when we're thinking about plastic, most of the time we're thinking about uh, the actual um, food industry, the wrapping packaging, everything that we're buying, we're not thinking so much about clothing, we're not so much Thinking about all the different area where potentially plastic is actually used in a, as a secondary element that we're not even seeing, and so that for me was kind of okay. Uh, you guys have already identified three major enzymes. You can use it already for these. Each even for each one of these three enzymes, you already have massive market actually share that is up right there, grab for the taking, and so. Uh, that without even adding on the pure ML computer, you know, uh, predictive modeling part of, of the product. And I thought, okay, that's for me, it's a very compelling uh, value proposition because you could already say, okay, these guys just need to get going. But as soon as you're going to be starting to actually operate this with the data, as you were saying, the 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 ability to create and address more um, create more enzyme and address more different kind of plastic it's massive so I think this is the reason why so many of us now uh, investors are actually very looking at you very intently and that's the reason why I think also that you were featured on Slash so tell us a little bit more about going to Slash 2022. Very interesting because slush is by far one of the biggest event, most important tech event in Europe. It's a very nice one because we have Web Summit in the south near uh, Portugal, but slush being uh, in the north, in the Baltics, it's totally different because it gives life, it gives light, it brings uh, the eyeball of everyone in the region on what's happening in this area and being an investor, a business friend, but investing globally, I can say that that's not something that you do naturally. So how was Slash? How was your experience? And what did it bring to you so far?
1: Um, <clears throat> so <laughs> I think I'm going to follow my already established pattern and, and say a couple of words, comment a couple of things before um, going on about slush. Um, so, once more, I, um, it's really nice to hear that you are, the way you're putting it, but of course there's still a number of challenges need to be overcome and the, the level of, of maturity of the specific enzymes is not being formed, so some of them are closer to kind of being scalable and the ones that we're working on, some of them are still in a very, very early prototype stage. So we are working on a, on a several ones at the same time, just to make sure that uh, this is transferable to other things. And cellulose that you mentioned is really a, a sort of a wild card there. So it's not a it's not the plastic, right? So it's a natural polymer yeah. uh, that is one of the main parts of wood. Uh, and uh, we, it's not that we are also looking at um, um, repurposing all all the uh, um, um forestry and agricultural waste in the world right now but this is something that we keep in mind uh, as we work on the plastic enzymes um there's plastic is not the only material that that needs to be made more circular and even things that are considered kind of much, much, much closer to nature, quote, unquote. Yeah, you know, fruits and vegetables, they still leave behind huge amounts of waste that usually gets just incinerated because you can't really dump it anywhere. There's just too much of it. You need to burn it. And it's still, even if you discount the fact that it's uh, kind of, again, being really just wasteful with the resources that you have, it also contributes a lot to the uh, the emissions profile um, of humanity. So to speak. Um, so we are targeting plastics, but we are also thinking beyond that. Um, there are a number of other materials that could be um, made more circular using enzymes. So in the future, wow, that's a bad phrase. Uh, but yeah, in the future, I think that my vision would be that um, a lot of the waste, especially municipal waste. Um, could be um, processed and transformed using uh, something that's very similar conceptually to um, stomachs so or digestive systems. So we as omnivorous uh, mammals eat a lot of different stuff. We just shove it in and then we hope that our stomachs take care of it. And they, most of the time they do. So these are amazing machines that turn all sorts of various things into just a very small number of, you know, nutrients for our bodies, so I think something similar is possible going forward for the. uh, Global recycling economy, having you know, having a an infrastructure of digesters if you wish that could. uh, Disassemble most of the things that are found in in uh, in unsorted waste, uh, including plastics, of course, because it's a big part of the of the waste, but not the only one um, by far. And uh, that's still far ahead, but this is something that we that we are kind of we like to talk about it as our um, kind of long-term guiding star. Um so so having most of the things that are um, degradable by enzymes to be degraded by enzymes in the future um, so, but coming coming back to sludge from this very uh, haughty note, um, So, this, last year was the was our second time at sludge um, and uh, it wasn't something spectacular in terms of, of like being featured somewhere or um, winning anything. Uh, so usually, the, the startup pitch competitions that that um, occur on tech conferences are won by uh, you know apps which have huge traction one year after being funded. So it's for deep tech startups. Is is changing slowly, but um, at least I haven't seen a single deep tech startup winning such competition yet. So I think it's just impossible to to compete on the same terms. Maybe it has happened.
0: It has happened, actually. So it has happened happened this year. I mean, this year, uh, 2022 uh, TechCrunch Disrupt uh, in San Francisco uh, was actually won by a deep tech startup. And I was in San Francisco at that time uh, going to TechCrunch. And this was for me, you know, kind of uh, Haha, uh. moment because I was feeling so comforted into the thesis that yes finally deep tech is coming and it's yes. uh, the, the bio area and we are coming and so yeah for the first time actually the tech, crush, tech crunch disrupt was actually won by a deep tech uh, startup so you know for me it's kind of a signal uh and over the years you know uh there have been uh in 2022 I think it was kind of a pivot moment with uh, AlphaFold and, you know, all the uh, mainstream media starting to realize what was happening in Bayou through uh, the work done by DeepMind. There have been uh, so many uh, press release and, and article written about that. It has brought to light, uh, I think, in a certain way to the general public that we were getting closer and it was uh, to to being able to almost uh, have machine learning, being able to design proteins and have predictive model of proteins, of course, I mean, the field of protein design itself, it's so complex. You have so many elements and, and itself, the structure of the protein itself, it's not so much knowing about the gene. That is something that we have done like a couple of years ago that is past. It's not about the gene, it's about the conformation. So, Working on this and trying to see big tech companies uh, tackling this kind of issue and then uh, successfully demonstrating, um, you know, significant uh, uh, successes, I think 2022 was definitely a pivot and TechCrunch clearly nailed yeah. it by, you know, making a deep tech startup actually win over, you know, the classical SaaS web app, um, you know, startup you wow. that- there. So for that's, me, it was like kind me. of a very big moment, you know, and then again, uh, that uh, that same week, you know, uh, I was there and it, it felt like everything was kind of uh, converging within that week, uh, YCL, this first YC uh, Bio Summit, uh, which was very, again, surprising and amazing. At the same time, of course, uh, the cohorts at YC have been grown uh, tremendously over the last couple of years, specifically during the COVID area because they were accepting you know remote applications uh obviously there were going to be more bio but that not necessarily meant that they were going to see bio as significantly more important but actually it is and they they held that first separate tract of yc bio summit and it was Kind of a small event. Uh, they didn't really advertise much about it, and many players in the industry were not even aware that it was happening. You know, same week as TechCrunch, so everyone was flocking at TechCrunch and not, you know, caring about and not even knowing that just right there, you know, two blocks away, it was actually the YC uh, Bio okay. Summit. And so I was very lucky. I felt very lucky to be able to to reach out to these events and see it happening. But I think it's it's really like only the beginning, because I can see, for example, uh, this week alone, uh, A16Z again published a new uh, bio podcast, and it was really about the, you know, coming of ML, the coming of AI in in bio, and so yeah, you you get when you start getting this kind of signal coming from strong players, you know that things are actually moving finally in the right direction. So yeah, so. Yeah. Maybe not yet in Europe, maybe not on the big scene yet, but yet again, you know, we, we have a big, you know, deep tech conferences, Hello Tomorrow. I've been a huge fan of them for many, many years now, and they've been kind of, you know, that... Lighthouse in, in Europe about deep tech, and so you can see that uh, definitely you know deep tech in Europe has always been part of the DNA. It's just now how do we make it happen? Because I think that in Europe there is a strong problem. We have huge talent, like we have ton of PhD, we have uh, excellence at the university level. But then again, when you the, these talents start startups and they're trying to scale it, it's the scale up part that goes wrong you know most of the time and it's not a matter of not having uh the right team most of the teams are amazing i think there's a couple of problems need tackle needs to be tackled first i mean it works for bio but uh, it works and it worked again for all the different kind of sovereign technology that we've been trying to fight uh for over the last couple of years uh, i'm coming from cloud computing i'm coming from ai and i've known uh, for many, many years, the issue of uh, digital sovereignty in cloud in AI in Europe mm-hmm. and how difficult it is. But the reality is, it's very hard to imagine that there's going to be uh, a European cloud service provider that is going to be able to be at the same scale uh, as um, the actual players, because our market is too fragmented and we have a fragmentation problem. We don't have that Full unified market, if our market was fully unified, we will have the same size as a typical, you know, North America, American market, and that would be fine enough, and a startup would be able to actually attack that market as one unique market and, you know, sell in every country without regulation, because one of the things you said is, yeah, it's not just about the tech, there's also many, many elements, because we are one piece in an entire ecosystem. We need to talk to our customer. We need to talk to people before us down the line, the producers. We need to integrate with them. So there is a lot of work, but there is also the regulators. And so I think if we want biotech, deep tech in general to really blossom in Europe because we have the mean of it, I think it's also going to need to be, uh, I would say, a government effort, not just at a national level, but also at the full European level. So so that's why I was saying, okay, I kind of change the, uh, I would say, government level orientation or strategic orientation, but I can uh, look and, and try to influence and, and and be part of what's happening on the, on the other side of the ecosystem. And for that, there is uh, all the uh, investors, but there is also all the tech events like slush that are breathing light. So that's why I was asking you, I was slush for you guys. But I think the question really behind was, okay, what's next? So what are you working on? Because definitely 2022 felt like, okay, industrial partnership, kind of finding your footing in between, continuing the work on the engineering, but at the same time, it's a product, it's not a research project. So trying to make that a product by also bringing on first customers and partners to, to, to the table, but 2023, it feels like, okay, what what's next for you guys in terms of um, next steps?
1: Um, so it, it will. I'll really. Uh, I'm really curious to compare um, Slush with uh, Hello Tomorrow. So this year is going to be my first time at that wow. specific uh, event. Um, we we got into the deep tech uh, um, deep tech pioneers. Um, cohort or community uh, lately so we're definitely going to um, attend this year's um Paris conference um this is this is just something um this is just one of the nice parts but the more kind of hands-on and challenging um things that we are looking to do during the year is start working on scaling specific use cases with specific partners so we do have um um, call it a funnel so so a number of of companies that are interested to to work with us for bringing this to the market Um, and we think that working without such a partner would be um unwise in, in in the case of a very fresh and mature technology and a small team so we need the support of of big players both um technical um, not necessarily the financial technical and kind of informational or conceptual support so we need to understand that what the the process that we're building is useful for them that it's pluggable into what they already have or that they don't need to change much um, about what they're doing already to be able to use enzymatic technology Um, so this year we're looking to um, kind of boost the first partnerships and start first use case um, scaling so we we think that it's worth doing that um, with specific applications in mind you've mentioned uh, let's say textiles that could be just as an example that could be one niche that that really could benefit from um, enzymatic recycling firstly because a lot of textile products are being um, discarded um, separately yeah. um and also so it's kind of you can have them in bulk not mixed with like things like food and stuff like that um but also because it's really hard to deal with them yeah. so the way it usually happens right now is either it just gets burned or dumped somewhere or it goes it gets sent into um countries far far away from the point of uh from the point where it was discarded and people disassemble them by hand Removing all the like zippers and buttons and stuff uh, that's attached to the textile um, and maybe reusing those Um, so it's really labor intensive it's not efficient and it involves a lot of logistics so that is potentially a very um, interesting application area um, for enzymatic recycling so that is one of our main focal points um, I've also mentioned automotive, so we've we've seen a lot of interest from from car manufacturers um, around the world uh, in terms of being able to um, at least extract certain types of plastics from the from these those ground cars the car fluff. Uh, so there are a number of those niches where we think enzymatic recycling of plastic makes the most sense. So it does make sense in most cases, but in some places it's it's really something that could you know transform the market or create the market because there, because there's none because all the plastic is just being discarded or burned um so this is where we're going to be focusing uh, our efforts um and simultaneously, of course continuing to work on on the platform so um if you're working on the platform your work is never done right so you, you there's always things you can uh, improve and and build upon and there's new data that you can incorporate um and um, there are new versions of enzymes even for you know the the good part about um building a platform is that you can roll out new versions of existing enzymes as well so uh, even if you have a a very efficient um, enzyme for a specific type of plastic you can always upgrade it um like a drop in in the same process that you've developed so you can keep kind of releasing the new versions of the enzyme just like you release new versions of like like you push updates to a software product um basically i mean it's definitely not completely the same but conceptually it's it's like quite, quite you know interestingly quite close um so we're going to be pushing those two balls uh you know with two uh, uh, with, with two feet trying to both push forward the platform and also the um the commercialization part and uh, to be fair we are not the first company that is in the enzymatic recycling space and we're not the company that's the furthest ahead in terms of um, the commercial applications Um, but we feel that there's still first of all the, the markets are huge and second of all uh there are still ways that this can be um, focused on, uh, which very few people are, are working right now, um, especially, you know, approaching this from a platform perspective and trying to tackle the issue of mixed plastic waste, not not trying to compete with mechanical recycling, but uh, opening up the the rest of the plastic waste market. Um, yes, these are the, the focal points and, and growing team. Um, growing the team, as I mentioned, um, um, getting more uh, like, you know, people with digital backgrounds on board, because I think uh, there are a number of skills that are really, really useful for a team that consists mostly of, of you know, business people and, and scientists, um, you know, people who have already done some work on digital startups, they can bring a lot of um, interesting skills that can complement this. And uh, I think overall that this is generally what is being observed as far as I can uh, uh, judge in the entire tech bio um, space. So kind of trying to bring together um, the, 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 the digital background, the, um, the kind of um, in vitro or, or bio backgrounds and also um, business uh, commercial backgrounds and uh, combine them into something, into dream teams that can actually perform much better than than any of the parts. Um, And this is is what we're kind of building right now.
0: Amazing. I think this is the longest podcast that we have ever done. Uh, And I could go (laughs) on and go on for uh, much longer, but Last final word, if people want to reach out to you, uh, do you have any email address, um account on Twitter, LinkedIn? <clears throat> How do people reach out to you?
1: Um, I would say the easiest way would be to just drop us an email to hello at anxiety.com. Yeah. That would be the fastest way, or just find me on LinkedIn or find the company. I think the name is still unique, so it, it, it should be quite easy.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. I can guarantee. I've done a little bit of uh, Google searching over the last couple of days just to make sure that I was ready for today's podcast. And yeah, and Zimini is pretty unique right now. So, and I guess pretty unique in the future. I'm definitely waiting for you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrew, for this amazing podcast and looking forward to see you guys scale in 2023. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much uh for the conversation and uh for for inviting us uh, cheers to all the listeners and uh, wishing you a hugely energetic 2023
0: <laughs> yes for sure thank you thanks for listening to the next podcast if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media leave a rating and review to catch all the letters from us you can follow us on linking twitter and instagram thanks again and i'll see you next time